By now, you already know I'm a big fan of Seth Godin, and hopefully you are too. Today, we'll be talking about his book, Tribes, and how you can find your tribe and harness that into a monopoly in your niche, just like I did. You're listening to Digital Bacon FM. Yes, that was a D with woman. You can hear the little pinging sound in the background as I try and get hold of Stephen Barnes. Stephen, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm all right, Mr. Black. I'm all right. Excellent. So today we're making up for Friday. Again, uh, electricity problems this end of the world. But today we're going to talk about tribes. Well, it's another Seth Godin um, masterpiece, right? Some uh, a paragon of clear, clear thinking when he wrote that book, uh, "Tribes, We Need You to Lead Us," I believe it was. Uh, it was called. Um, and essentially, what Seth Godin is articulating here is that um, in the connection economy, where everybody's got ubiquitous connectivity, the opportunities for individuals who have uh, uh, let's say, a leadership capability in one particular area, one particular expertise, one niche, um, if they put themselves out there on the web demonstrating that you know they're prepared to take a leadership role in relation to that particular expertise or that niche, and you essentially make art, as he says, uh, and that means you know basically putting you, yourself into, uh, you know, putting, putting yourself in a position where ultimately you can answer people, help people answer the questions, solve their problems and attain their, uh, the objectives that they've got in life. Um, those people that are also interested in that niche, interested in that material, um, A, you don't have anywhere else to uh, get access to that material and that expertise, and B, uh, are ready to recognize you uh, as the sort of a, a leader or a, an authentic source in relation to um uh, that material and that niche and that expertise, then you have yourself, you have, you have the, the, the ability to create, uh, as Seth calls it, a tribe. Hmm. Um, and tribes are a phenomenon of the connection economy. Uh, there's certainly been a phenomenon of society for, you know, since, since humankind has been organizing itself. But now that we've got ubiquitous connections, you can take the dynamics of tribes um, that are uh, found in, uh, in normal sort of human activity uh, and, and, and then bring them into the realm of uh, the, con- uh, the internet and the connection, connection economy activity because, because people can find you. And because they'll find you, they'll organize themselves around you. So ultimately, it's kind of like the pinnacle of leadership uh, and being able to generate a tribe around you know, your particular expertise and what you're good at. Um, and uh, that has proven to be the case very much so with us in the Hong Kong Visa Center, because with the Hong Kong Visa Center, before I showed up and told everybody through our internet presence that AI existed and B, I knew what I was talking about, um, the uh, individuals that have now collectively gone on to amount to our tribe, which is more than 150,000 strong altogether, have naturally uh, begun to sort of organize themselves around uh, the proposition that uh, that I represent, the, both in terms of the Hong Kong visa geezer idea virus, which we've discussed before, mm. uh, and also um, 
um, the uh, the Hong Kong Visa Centre as being a, a place where they can go and get uh, professional assistance with the problem that they've got or uh, move on to uh, our Hong Kong Visa Handbook, which is where you get your do-it-yourself do guide to uh, the Hong Kong immigration process. So so in essence, what you have there is the, the dynamics of a, of a modern-day tribe, a la Seth Godin, uh, all resulting from ubiquitous connections and the reality of the connection economy. Now, how would you transition somebody uh, who was a part of your visa tribe into, say, your marketing tribe? Because if you if you think about visas, you may in Hong Kong, especially, you would have a, a requirement to renew. And then after a, a period of seven years, you would have no further need to renew unless you are bringing somebody else in. But you would obviously want to keep that connection in one way or another. And if you transformed your business or opened a new one, how do you then bring the relevance of Visa tribe membership to another platform? A great question. You may or may not be able to do it because tribes are self-organizing. So no doubt there'll be a, a percentage of the 150,000 strong immigration tribe that we've got who would be interested in uh, the ideas enunciated, intelligent content marketing, uh, and the, the tribe that we're, you know, engendering now to build around that notion. Um, but because tribes are self-organizing, you can't naturally bring somebody in from one to the other. You just have to, through permission marketing, make them uh, aware that this is, you know, the new string to your bow. Uh, and then continue to either deliver value because they're interested in, in getting more information from you about this and uh, they then become a member of that tribe in due course. Or because you adopt permission marketing techniques, they do one click unsubscribe and then you stop sending the materials and, uh, and, and, and that way you've maintained the integrity of both your immigration tribe and you haven't um, uh, gotten anybody's nerves by trying to fish them into a non-immigration tribe, recognizing that the reason why we've got a relationship with them in the first place was through uh, the immigration piece. But having said that, you know, when we go fishing for um, uh, new tribe members on the intelligent content marketing side, you know, we, uh, we do that in a completely different way than we'd, uh, we go about, you know, trying to bring people into the immigration tribe. Now, do, do the, the members of the tribe know other members of the tribe if it's self-organizing? Do they, um, are they part of their tribe because other people are also part of their tribe, so therefore they're validated? But all of the above, all of the above, uh, it just depends on the nature of your material and to what extent uh, ownership of the um, uh, of the medium, if you will, of the ideas, uh, everything associated with the materials in the niche, if that is uh, uh, capable of being self self-managed by the tribe itself, then they will go off and do that. In the immigration space, it doesn't really happen because what people tend not to have sort of a... Uh, uh, bilateral discussions outside of you know me so to speak when it comes to immigration because it's usually a uh, you know sort of a one-to-one -one type uh, tribe dynamic mm -hmm. in intelligent content marketing of course it's something completely different uh, all I can do is put myself out there and uh, uh, give them give give the potential tribe an understanding of what this thing called intelligent content marketing is really all about uh, and then and then set them loose on having discussions. And uh, certainly I'll participate in those discussions, but it's much more likely that uh, there will be uh, the tribe itself talking to itself, uh, whilst obviously looking to, to, to me and, and the notion of intelligent content marketing for sort of for guidance and inspiration. But it'll be uh, probably just as much a, a community thing as it will be just a one-to-one -one thing.
And are there any dangers of it falling apart? If you have a look at any of the news platforms out there where they give people the ability to comment, it really gets ugly a lot of the time. I mean, would you oh, say oh, that well, that's a point, but Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, in, 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 well... The thing, the thing about having it, there's a difference between a tribe uh, on the one hand and basically a collection of individuals who are just, you know, going to perhaps participate in one or two, one or two comment exchange on some social media forum because they're venting or expressing an opinion. Mm. If if you're if you've got a genuine tribe, you've got deep, meaningful interest in the subject matter for one reason or another, and you've got a need to continue to sort of, you know, access the group tribe, if you will, led by the leader. Um, in order to um, progress the uh, objectives that you've got by identifying yourself as being a member of that tribe in the first place. So uh, when it comes to um, the immigration piece, then there's, there's very little chance that it's going to get out of hand on any of my forums because because we administer them. Likewise, when it comes to the intelligent content marketing tribe, we're managing all of that via a Facebook closed group uh, so we have the ability to obviously monitor that and, uh, and make sure that the uh, contributions that are being made are respectful and add value to everybody else and don't turn into a typical sort of social media bun fight. Mm. And would you say it's advisable for these groups, especially if it's an open platform, to actually turn off the comments? Or do you think it's it's better that people have the the, the ability to, to say what they think? You mean on Facebook or on yes, the WordPress on, platform, Jason? On Facebook. Uh, well, you, know, you, you can decide. Well, well, exactly. And at the end of the day, you've got the ability to determine, you know, the quality of the uh, of the dialogue, right? Mm. So uh, my advice would be to monitor and control the quality of the dialogue and use the you know, technical aspects of the various platforms to make sure that uh, uh, only reasonable contributions are being made. And as I say, it doesn't turn into a social media bonfire. Mm. And you know, the, the, the important thing for most people is how do you monetize this now? Well, you're not monetizing a tribe per se. What you're doing is you're setting out a proposition where you want to answer questions and help solve problems. Hmm. Um, when you do that, the tribe will find you. They'll organize themselves around you. And in, in inimical to your proposition, you've built in um, uh, a monetization strategy. That's what intelligent content marketing is all about, right? said before we sell peace of mind so uh, our entire tribe generation activities are designed ultimately to settle on the value catalysts of where we deliver peace of mind and we get compensated for delivering that peace of mind yeah. so you wouldn't ordinarily set out create it wanting to create a tribe and then thinking about how you're going to monetize it a sensible intelligent content marketing strategy says to you yes what will result from intelligent content marketing is a tribe um, and you've designed and built in from the get go your monetization dynamic because it's the it's the it's the essence of your business model um and uh, that's that's kicked off from the get-go and it just so happens that the tribe results uh, from all those efforts mm. one of the things i've always found interesting with what you've done with the hong kong visa center is to is to actually also put news from other sources out there so if the immigration department uh, release something if there's something in the south china morning post you will then put that on and then bring your expert opinion uh, to that piece. Do you think that's an advisable thing? I think that the term that everybody uses, curating, which I, I despise. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, no, uh, no man is an oracle, right? 
So there's plenty of other good stuff going on uh, around you and your niche that, you know, you'd be willing to share and, uh, um, you know, bring to the attention of your tribe because it will add value to them. The one thing that, you know, that, that resonates from building a tribe is that you are a leader, um, you know, and leaders basically do what they need to do to ensure that the interests of the tribe are being uh, properly uh, sort of promulgated. And if that uh, on occasion means bringing to their attention material that isn't, you know, origin value, but is clearly going to have a lot of value, then, you know, you must, must certainly uh, uh, send that to your tribe and let them understand that, that that's available for them. And uh, again, helping them achieve their objectives, which is why they've organized around you in the first place. And uh, what other ways could you uh, suggest that people put themselves out there uh, in terms of marketing? I know you do a lot on the internet and you also do radio and also uh, TV production. So if you were just a normal guy in the street with a business and you wanted to form a tribe or, or allow a tribe to form around you, what marketing would you do to start off with? Well, well, okay, I, I, I figure out what, ex what exactly is the value that you deliver. And how can you articulate what you do so that that value can be received by the biggest number of people possible? And then, and then design what you're doing to be, um, to, be, to be found by the people that are naturally interested in that stuff. So it's, 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 it's classic intelligent content marketing strategy in terms of identifying what it is that you, knowing what, knowing what it is that you sell. Uh, producing a content proposition that helps people answer questions and solves problems, and then make sure that your material can be found where the tribe hangs out so that they have an opportunity to find their way into you. They can then understand the value that you represent, and then you can forge your relationship and, and generate your tribe on, on the strength of those activities. And you win your relationships, Jason, one at a time. Everybody seems to think that, you know, when you start off on a strategy like this using the internet in a smart way, that you should be expecting to get 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 100,000 people coming at your left, right and center. That's not the case at all. The thing about building a tribe is that you now, through the internet and the ubiquitous connectivity, have the ability to reach all the outliers. It's no longer, you know, average stuff for average people to try and get the middle 60, 70% of a population who, who used to be the target audience for stuff in the industrial economy. And the connection economy is about reaching out to individuals and identifying what it is that they need. And as I say, you win your relationships one at a time. Hmm. Okay, so start starting out, go go for the low hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's difficult for me to to be general here because we were talking about every area of economic activity. So, if you're starting out uh, with a, for example, a professional service. Um, and you know uh, what it what it is that you're selling as a result of delivering that professional service, then at the risk of repeating myself, produce a content proposition that's designed to help answer questions and help solve problems. Do what we did, for example. Produce a do-it-yourself kit uh, and then deliver that do-it-yourself kit to everybody just for the cost of an email address so you can in then turn have a, a relationship with them on an ongoing basis, both in terms of advising them when you put new, new, new content onto your blog um, and also uh, just being able to deliver new value to them on an ongoing basis as and when that new value has been materialized in your business and you now want to share it more widely. So as, a, as an intelligent content marketeer, you're in the professional services space, you're inevitably going to be producing content on an ongoing basis. So each time that you produce a piece of content that you know is going to add value to any member of your tribe, 
and you share it out with your tribe accordingly. And then, you know, you begin to build the size of your tribe incrementally over time. Okay. If you, if you want to talk about professional services rather than visas for a second, I know that you, you were instrumental in uh, developing of another great Hong Kong brand called Dragon Law, if I remember. Now that, that follows that same sort of principle where you are taking a old fashioned legal profession and bringing it into a connection economy model. Is that correct? Well, I'm not. A, I'm. A, I've only. I've only collaborated with Dragon Law. It's not a company of mine. Doing sure, no, I know that. I'm the director of it. Yeah, yeah. I know, but so Dragon Law. If you, yeah, Dragon Law is a little bit different. What Dragon Law have done is that they've produced a, uh, a, a an online engine that contains between fifty and a hundred standard legal contracts and legal legal documentation templates. There's all sort of cookie cutter. And in exchange for a subscription fee each year, you get access to that library of, uh, of templates and also a, te a document building engine. So in essence, what you get is um, a kind of like a wizard do-it-yourself guide to producing, say, an employment contract or a shareholders agreement or a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, and as you use that service, you populate certain fields denoting the, uh, the identity of the parties and the length of the agreement and that kind of stuff. Um, and then when you push a button at the end of it, you get a you know 16-page beautifully crafted um, uh, contract or legal document that you can use in, in pursuit of your commercial, uh, commercial endeavors. But what, what Dragon Law have done there is that they've recognized that you know going individually as a business owner or an individual to a, a solicitor to get a piece of work done that's just general legal document drafting, knowing that lawyers themselves work from templates in any event, rather than paying them, you know, seven or eight thousand Hong Kong dollars for a particular individual document, you can pay, uh, say, sixteen thousand Hong Kong dollars and have, a, have an annual subscription and be able to produce as many documents against their templates as you like in that time. Mm. So, to the extent that Dragon Law have disrupted the way that solicitors do their thing, um, they have done that using that model. They have a um, a content strategy that is a little bit different from ours. Uh, their content strategy revolves around explaining the use of legal documents and when they might be suitable for you in your business, which, which makes perfect sense. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that you can, they can generate a sort of a proposition that's answering questions and solving problems in the way that we do, mm. um, just because we're on the advisory side and they're basically on the software as a service side. Mm. But yeah, they, they have disrupted and they have, I think they're doing very well indeed. Last time I spoke to the CEO, I think they got about 20, a tribe of about 20,000 subscribers, which is pretty good mm. actually for a business like that. Now, you said you've got upwards of 150,000. Mm. How long did that take to get? Yeah. Uh, well, the seven years that we've been in practice. And is that is that a, a good growth or is it an astronomical growth? Well, it's really very good. If you figure figure that, you know, there's 48,000 people in Hong Kong at any one point in time who would want to buy a product from us or would need access to the type of information that we offer. Uh, over seven years, having um, generated a tribe of, actually it's more than 150,000 now, uh, but we get between 250 and 350 new relationships every day at this point. Um, so the growth is is really starting to become uh, exponential in a in type of a, a, a small way. Given that the market for Hong Kong immigration is only so big, right? It's like, you know, how many people are interested in um, 
in bottle washing in Darwin, Lancashire. Now, there, there, there may be a tribe, potential tribe there of, of, of several hundred, if not maybe a thousand people, and that would be the end of it. Well, the same sort of phenomenon applies to Hong Kong immigration. There's only a certain, you know, it's a finite number of people in, in any given year that's going to be naturally interested in the material that, that we have and the information that we share. Uh, so uh, given the total sort of size of our tribe thus far, and the uh, the visits visitors to our websites that we get each day, um, I think it's 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 pretty solid the, the number that we've got. I think 150,000 over seven years is not bad at all. And do you have the ability to have a, a an understanding of where people are hitting you from, and what percentage would you say are local in Hong Kong and overseas? Given that visas are obviously something that applies to expatriates. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, 60% local, 40% uh, international. And we know, as far as Google will tell us, we basically know where every single visit is coming from, from up to, to one degree or another. We know which countries they're coming from. We know what what content they're accessing. We know how long they're staying on the individual pages. We know which pages they're uh, they're, they're visiting, you know, as they come onto the site and click two or three times, and then go off the site. So yeah, Google Analytics gives you access to all of that information, and uh, uh, and that uh, that's proven to be uh, a huge huge, huge point of differentiation between us and our competitors because if you have a content platform like that where your tribe is giving you the data, uh, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, annually like that, you get insights into the marketplace that your competition simply don't have access to those insights because they don't have the content platform to be able to derive those insights. That puts you, um, you know, streets ahead of them in terms of developing new disruptive uh, and innovative uh, service propositions. Now, if you if you are analyzing the data, are you creating content to talk specifically to where you are most being uh, asked those questions, or are you bolstering things that are not getting as much attention as you'd like? No, uh, because we've got more than ten thousand pieces of content now, and we've covered every potential uh, area of Hong Kong immigration that I think we could ever want to write about several times over. Um, we don't use our content now to specifically, you know, drive decisions as to additional content that we need to make uh, to get more traffic. Mm -hmm. What we will do is we'll look to see what people are generally interested in, which is trending, and then we'll make a decision. Okay, you know, let's write a piece on uh, on one subject rather than another. Um, uh, like I'll give you an example of, of how we would. We would have uh, we get insights that will give us opportunities to think about doing similar things. Mm. Um, I wrote an article called um, "Why I Hate the Quality Migrant Admission Scheme and You Should Too." Um, now I did that because I hate the program. Uh, the vast majority of people that apply um, for that program and use our websites to access our material about that they all come from India, and frankly, because of the way that the um, uh, ecosystem of Indian immigration consultants in India who sell, you know, quality of life migration services to myriad jurisdictions, including Hong Kong. Uh, 
via the Quality Migrant Admission Scheme Programme. I wanted to make sure that my inbox was not going to be completely overwhelmed with all these people from India who we're never, never going to get instructions from. And in fact, we don't even want to do the work for the Quality Migrant Admission Scheme visa because it's just too hard to try and glean anything from uh, the interactions that you have with the Immigration Department during uh, the currency of those applications. Um, just too hard. It's, a, it's, it's the only visa type that amounts to become to being a, a total black box. So mm. truth is, we can't really add much value to that. So I wrote that piece called Quality Migrant Admission Scheme, uh, Why I Hate It, and You Should Too, uh, for those very purposes. Uh, and, and I'm able through, you know, monitoring our, our metrics, knowing exactly how many how many people were, uh, were sort of deflecting, if you will, away from the practice as a result of that, that piece of content. Um, another example of insights that we're able to glean um, is a, a piece that I wrote called um, Checking the Status of Your Hong Kong Visa Application Online. Yeah, right. And basically what I did there was was I wrote an article on what it's like to use the Hong Kong Immigration Department's online uh, case progress checking system, which is very antiquated. And when you do, when you dig through all of the various clicks that you need to get through to get the answer that you need, it, either, it just tells you one or three pieces of information. It tells you the application is approved, the application has been refused, or the application is closed. It's as simple as that. Mm. So it, whilst it's useful to the extent that it saves you trying to track down an immigration officer to get an answer to a question, you know, uh, is my case approved yet or not, uh, it really doesn't serve much purpose. So what I did was I wrote this piece basically uh, explaining how the system works and being a tad critical of it. Um, and then as a result of that, what we've done is we've effectively hijacked all of the uh, traffic that is being used or is searching for the for the online system for the Hong Kong Immigration Department, because yeah. the Immigration Department haven't really configured that to be found in a very efficient way via a Google search. So now if you're searching for, you know, the ability to check the status of your visa application online, you will find us right at the very top of Google. Mm. So people click onto that. They read our short summary of, you know, what it's all about and why, you know, they, they're going to be a little bit disappointed when they get through the, the end of the process. But then they get into uh, in, into the system and they can check their application. Mm. So, you know, we probably get 70 or 80 visitors a day to our websites just by having hijacked that one particular element of Hong Kong immigration. So, so, so here's an example, another example of, of insights that you can um, you can glean as a result of having produced a particular type of uh, a piece of content, and that can then inform the, the other type of content that you might want to um, might want to produce that, uh, that, that that will give an opportunity to draw some traffic in. Another example that I, I did uh, previously was um, uh, I called it forum follies. Um, I think the caption was something like uh, "Why uh, Why it's a bad idea to use uh, to get to get free advice via a forum on your Hong Kong immigration application." Because I used to look at these forums and uh, do some social listening and find out what was going on. And 50% of the advice that was going on in public forums was accurate, and 50% of the advice was completely crap. The question is, if you're a visa applicant, how do you know which is crap and which is accurate? Mm. You don't. So again, you know, as a result of uh, some social listening, I decided to, to put out that piece of content. So I've given you sort of three examples there of how you can use the how we use at least 
the development of our content activities, if you will, to 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 speak to other content that we're going to create that will uh, deliver value and uh, and obviously uh, with it traffic to uh, to our sites. And do you see any danger in um, in bringing social commentary, be it political or anything like that? I know that in in the past you've you've made comment about uh, same sex marriages and in, in particular when it comes to the visa side of it. Do you think there's a danger if you do run any kind of business that you do make comments on these sorts of things? I think, I think you have to be smart, right, about what you say and what you do, recognizing the environment that you operate in. My, my position is about Hong Kong immigration. And because it's Hong Kong immigration, I've been doing it a long time. I've got opinions about things, so I will share my opinions. And if those opinions uh, happen to be, you know, uh, critical of the way the immigration department operates, so be it. That's just holding the immigration department to account for the public service that they offer. Um, but I don't use my forums to get involved in. Uh, I don't use my audience to get involved in other in other matters not relating to immigration because, frankly, that's not relevant. Sure. People are on my sites for Hong Kong immigration and nothing else. Mm. But I think about other things is neither here nor there, right? Oh, well, I meant within the space that you trade. So if if they do, if the say South China Morning Post puts out an article uh, that relates to immigration, but more so as to the politics of same-sex marriage or anything like that, it's still it's still within the realm of what you, you'll discuss. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it relates, where I've got opinions, particularly same-sex marriage, um, you know, the, the government here should be getting their act together and start being a first-world country and mm. recognise that, you know, equality is, equality is equality is equality and anything mm. that's less than equal uh, is just a red herring. So, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. If it relates to immigration, I, I jumped in there with two feet. Fantastic. All right, Stephen, we'll catch up again on Friday, same time, 10 o'clock. Does that work? Sounds good to me, sir. Fantastic. Have a great day. Thanks very much for joining us. Digital Bacon FM. I hope this episode helped you find out more about how to engage with your tribe in a way that answers questions and solves their problems. Stay tuned for the next episode when we'll be discussing how to map the knowledge graph.